0: to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were with first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Afternoon 4 p.m. Church. My name's Josh. It's great to be here with you, and I'm looking forward to opening up these verses together for a few minutes. Sorry about that. Um, Can we pray together? Is that okay if we do that for a minute before we start? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the week that we've had for everyone in the room. And we just pray that as we slow down and listen to your voice for the next few minutes, that you might do a work in us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you take the word that you've spoken and impress it deeply into our hearts and into our souls, into our innermost selves, so that we might love you, so that we might appreciate what you've done for us, so that our hearts and our affections might be set on you. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen the hardest thing about Christianity is dot, dot, dot. How would you finish the phrase? The hardest thing about Christianity is having a relationship with a God who is unseen, maybe. Hardest thing about Christianity is persevering when maybe lots of people around you would say you're wasting your time. Hardest thing about Christianity is developing a prayer life and and being disciplined in in your faith. Maybe. Hardest thing about Christianity is loving people in my life that are are difficult to love, that that, that keep offending me. Maybe. Here's my contender for uh, the way I would answer that question. The hardest thing about Christianity is remembering constantly remembering that from the beginning to the end of our salvation is all God's work and not my work at all. That's my contender for how to finish that sentence, that the hardest thing is to keep remembering, to keep focused on, to keep believing, to keep trusting that it's all of grace. That's the word the Bible uses god's gift to us it's all of grace from the beginning to the end and it doesn't matter how long you go on as a christian that that never changes been a christian for six months two years 60 years that it's all of god's grace the whole of our salvation comes from him from his abundant never-ending overflowing lavish grace that he has given to us in his son, Jesus. That's the hardest thing about Christianity, or maybe one of the hardest things, to keep remembering that. Yesterday was all of grace. Today is all of grace. Tomorrow is all of grace. And it will be all of grace until we meet Jesus face to face. And then he shows us even more grace in the age to come. Our biggest problem is we we love to beat ourselves up about mistakes that we've made and challenge ourselves and feel bad about ourselves for the ways that we've fallen short of God or maybe we love to get back on that treadmill of works and try to impress God and please him and and do things to uh, get towards him and, and make him notice us please God notice me I'm doing really well The great Welsh doctor who turned up into a pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said this. He had a, a question he would ask people. He said, after I've explained the way of Christ to someone, I say, now, are you ready to say that you're a Christian? And they hesitate. And then I say, why are you hesitating? What's the matter? And so often people say, I don't feel like I'm good enough yet. I don't think I'm ready to say I'm a Christian now. And at at once I know that I've been wasting my breath. They are still thinking in terms of themselves. They 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 have to do it. It sounds very modest to say, well, I don't think I'm good enough, but it's a denial of the faith. The very essence of Christian faith is to say, he is good enough, and I am in him. As long as you go on thinking about yourself and saying, I'm not good enough, oh, I'm not good enough, you are denying God, you're denying the gospel, you're denying the very essence of the faith, and you will never be happy. That's the whole undercurrent of this chapter of the Bible that we've been spending the last couple of weeks on, Ephesians chapter 1, that it is all of God's grace that we are in Christ and that when we're in Christ we have all the spiritual blessings that God wants to give to us. Ephesians 1 just says it over and over and over and over again. It's all of grace. Grace is the Bible's word for an unmerited favour from God to us, something that we could never earn, something we could never pay back, something in fact that we're not deserving of but he chooses to give to us out of his love and kindness. That's what grace is and we saw it last week in verse 6, it's called his glorious grace which he has freely given us. And we see it in verse 7 today. Our redemption and forgiveness are in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. It's an abounding grace. He he has a a lavishing of of it on us. Not just a little bit, but an overflow of of grace for us. But I think there will be people here today, and maybe you're one of them, and I know that this is the case because I'm tempted to do this who, when I say that, are saying, yeah, I understand that, I know it's all of God's grace, that, that's that's true, but what am I supposed to do? What, what, what is the take-home for me today? What, what, what do I change in my life? How, how do I change my attitude? How do I take this into my family or into my home or into my workplace, into my friendship circles? What am I supposed to do today? How can I be a better person as a result of what I'm reading here I want to say if if you step back and get a bigger view of this grace that Paul is talking about in this chapter if you get to see just how magnificent and lavish and extremely overflowing and how wide and long and deep it is if you get a, a view of that it will change your life it will And it will keep changing your life for the rest of your life. But we need to see it first. We need to get that view of it so that it can begin to change us. The point of Ephesians 1 here is that if you can't grasp the fact and internalise the fact and hang on to the fact that it is all of God and his generosity towards you, if you can't hold on to that that it's, salvation is completely from God, 100% Him, 0% us. If we can't grab on to that, then we haven't actually understood the gospel. We haven't understood God's grace. It's like a child on Christmas Day opening a present. Imagine if they uh, came and opened the present of, you know, a new bike from their mum and dad. They rip off the wrapping paper and the response that they make is, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that I wrote that Christmas list and I'm I'm so glad that I told mum which colour bike that I wanted and I'm so glad that uh, I knew what I wanted and that I told you what I wanted. Imagine if that was the response. No, the right response is to say, thank you. Thank you for this gift, Mum and Dad. Thank, Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you care about me so much. Thank you that you got me something that I wanted. And if it's true that it would be weird and inappropriate to praise ourselves for receiving a present, it's even more true that it would be out of place to praise ourselves for the salvation that God has given to us. It is him who has arranged it, who sealed it, who signed it, who's delivered it to us. He's done the whole thing. And God is actually keen for us to be able to separate out the elements of what he's done for us in salvation and and in the Christian life. He's keen for us to see the, the pieces. Yes, we want to get a general view of the whole thing, but God actually wants us to see the the different elements and spend time on them so that we can appreciate and grow in our love for him by what he's given to us it's kind of like the child observing all the little different parts of the present we want to see them for for what they are and grasp them and understand what it means to be uh, christians And that's the benefit of what we're doing in this sermon series of slowing down, taking a couple of verses at a time and just dwelling on what is, what does it mean to be chosen? What does it mean to be adopted? What does it mean to be an heir of God's kingdom? What does it mean to be, today we're going to think about being redeemed and forgiven and having seen the mystery that God wants to reveal to us? And it's only when we stop and see the little pieces of the puzzle that all fits together, that we can actually appreciate the life and the response that we're meant to make, which is something different, but we need to grasp hold of this grace that God has given to us and let it grow inside of us. So it's all of grace. And it, it is an end to striving as a Christian. You know what that word striving is? It's, it's that it's getting on the treadmill. It is trying to do more and more and more and more in my efforts to please God and to make him want me. You know how we sing in that hymn where strivings cease. The gospel is the place where the strivings can stop. Where you can say it's it's okay. It's it's done. It's complete. It's finished. God's grace is total. It's all of grace. For the rest of our time I want to unpack the, the three blessings that we see in this chapter and we've, we've been seeing this barrage, this list, this avalanche of blessings, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Last week we saw that we're chosen, that we're, we're predestined, that we have been uh, adopted into God's family, that we are now heirs of, of everything he has to give. Today we see that we're redeemed and forgiven, and they go together. So we'll look at them, and then we'll finish by thinking about the mystery of God's plan for us. So we're redeemed and we're forgiven. See it with me in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Redemption is a word that's wrapped up in the whole world of slavery, the idea of a slave being captive and unable to get out of that life stage and then someone coming and redeeming them out of it by paying a price to get them out of slavery. You see it in that first reading that we had where the Israelites were under an oppressive system of slavery in the nation of Egypt They were forced under forced labor to do hard work and it was an unreasonable amount of hard work by the Pharaoh and the nation of Israel. And they expanded, they grew as a nation, but even so they were still under slavery. They were under oppression. They were treated poorly by that nation of Egypt. And God gives them the plan of his redemption for them. And he says in Exodus 6, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with, a might, and with mighty acts of judgment. And so they have the Passover event where Israel had to kill a lamb and put the blood above the doorposts of their doors as the plague of death came through. And if they had the blood over their doors, they were saved. And, and they were led by Moses out of the nation of Egypt through the sea, and they were led to freedom, to safety, and they were not slaves anymore. God redeemed his people, and the price was the blood, and they came free. In the movie 12 Years a Slave, I don't know if you've seen that movie, there's a, a man who in 1841 in Washington, D.C., was kidnapped. He was a free man, an African-American man, who was kidnapped and made into a slave. His name was Solomon Northup, And he tried to convince people, I'm a free person, I'm not a slave, but no one believed him. And so for 12 years he didn't see his wife or his family... But then he he managed to convince some people that he really was free. And they found the paperwork and they brought it to the authorities and they said, this man's free. And he walked away from his slavery. He was redeemed. Throughout the scriptures, we're told that we are under an oppression, that we are under a slavery. And it's not in a nation, it's not in a place. It is a spiritual slavery of our hearts bent back in on themselves we are addicted to ourselves we're addicted to our own agenda away from god's agenda we are addicted to independence and declaring ourselves the masters and lords of our own life and that's what the bible calls sin that is our slavery and in john 8 jesus says this very truly i say Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus, at his cross, paid a price, a ransom price, which was his blood shed for us so that we could go free. Now I don't know if you've ever wondered about why the Bible is, has got blood all the way through it. You know, why is there animal sacrifices and why is Jesus' blood being shed? Why is God, the God of the universe, so interested in blood? And the the problem is it's not actually about the blood. The blood is a symbol for life. And the problem is because we are in slavery to our sin, because we are headed towards a future of death, death away from our Creator, someone had to pay the price to set us free. Someone had to give their life so that we could be free. And that life had to be a perfect life, an indestructible life, a life that is of ultimate value, and that is the life of Jesus. And so what we learn in the Bible is that the God, Father, Son, and Spirit in himself, decides to deal with human sin by paying the price of the life of the Son of God who gives up his blood so that we can now go free. So he dies the death that we should have died, he pays the price that we should have paid, he faces the penalty that we ought to have faced and we walk off free. That's what Jesus does and that is what his... Blood's about. And just this week I was thinking about the fact that it's not like Jesus does this and then it's just left in the past and never spoken of again. We're told Jesus is our mediator. He sits at his Father's right hand in heaven and keeps applying this work that he's done to us. Keeps saying to his Father, this person is free And he keeps saying, this person cannot be condemned. No matter what sin comes up in their life, they cannot be condemned. And even in Revelation chapter 5, we're told that Jesus is the lamb who was slain. So in heaven, there's a lion, the lion of Judah, but he is also the lamb who has been slain. And so into eternity, he carries with us, carries with him in his body, the marks of the love that he had for us, his church. Would you love someone like that? To commit to them in such a way that you took on their deepest problems, you took on their their deepest issues and, and they became dependent on you forever and you carried with them for all eternity, you carried with you the marks of your love for that person which came at great cost to you. Would you have that kind of love? That is the love that the Son of God has for you. And there's another word here, which is the word forgiveness. It's a familiar word to us. I think one of the best ways I saw Christianity growing up was in my parents and their forgiveness of me. Because like everyone, I made mistakes in my family. And I offended people, I did the wrong thing, I sinned against people and my parents never excused the things that I'd done wrong. But they did say, when I came and confessed it and owned up to it and said sorry for it, they did say, you're forgiven. And they didn't bring it up again. Those things were left in the past never to be spoken of again. We didn't dredge them up. The forgiveness was real and the cancellation was real And it's the same with God, he redeems us, he forgives us and when he deals with our sin, he gets rid of it and it's never spoken of again and the power of that sin is broken because Jesus forgives it. And so you know that the sin in your life, whatever it's been, whether it's been big or small, whether it's been recent or at some point in the past, no matter what, That sin is forgiven and God is never going to mention it again. Yes, there might be problems in relationships. You know, sometimes, to be honest, relationships can't be repaired because of mistakes that we've made. But you know that with your Heavenly Father, it's never going to be spoken about again. The words that you said, the lies that you told, the promises that you broke, the lust that gripped your heart the things that you watched the foolish decisions you made the hurt that you caused the manipulations that you engaged in just think about that for a moment think of some of your former sins and think of how they've been put away forever and they're not going to be brought up against your name anymore jesus has has dealt with all of that It's not excused, it's not ignored by God but it is paid for at the cross. God's taken it off you. There's a real sense in in that as a Christian you have a burden on your back that's been lifted and it's been taken off your back. I don't know if you know Pilgrim's Progress. He has this burden, hunches him over and then he comes to the cross and it falls away. And you know the devil tells us "Go, go and pick up that burden again. You know, get back on the treadmill. Keep trying to prove yourself to God. Don't do it. Don't pick up what Jesus has put away. That is done, it's gone, it's in the past. So I want to say if there is a day that you go home from church with nothing to do after church, it's today because of what we're seeing. It's all of grace, it's redemption, it's forgiveness given as a gift by Jesus to you John Piper uh, has said this long looking with admiration produces change long looking with admiration produces change In other words if you look at something for a long time for an extended period and admire it doesn't matter what it is it will change you you'll start to imitate it might be a celebrity or something something else For me, a few years ago, it was skateboarding, weirdly weirdly enough. (laughs) Long looking with admiration produces change. If you look for a long time at what Jesus has done, it will change your heart. It will renovate you from the inside out. You want to know how to change? Just look long and look lovingly at what Jesus has done for you. Our culture at the moment is so focused on what we can do. There's school report cards, job interviews, there's um, analysis of your work, KPIs, uh, staff reviews. People want to know, what are you doing? What have you done to, to make this all better? We live in what's called a meritocracy where you merit your way to the top by doing lots and lots and lots of Uh, great things so it's both jarring and it's refreshing to be a Christian it's jarring because it is so out of step with our culture which tells you what are you doing what's next and Christianity says no no it's taken care of it's all complete but it's also so refreshing because you can take that burden off your shoulders you can get rid of your baggage you can say I've sorted it out because Jesus has sorted it out for me and he has invited me to come and just be one of his people. So my main application today to you is to look, to bask in, to appreciate, to uh, dwell in, bathe in, uh, soak up what Jesus has done for you. You Just appreciate it, rejoice, praise him for what he's given. There's no mistake that this chapter is full of the word praise praise you jesus for what you've done i praise you i praise you i praise you put on some worship music on your way home when you go home just sing along just appreciate what god has done for you have a prayer session where all you do is say thanks thank you god look at this list of blessings what have i done to deserve this nothing (laughs) it's just your grace Call someone, tell them what God's done for you. Tell your family, talk about it. Write God a letter of praise. Just enjoy it. I love the old song, My Saviour, Redeemer, lifted me from the miry clay. Almighty forever, I will never be the same because you came near. From the everlasting to the world we live, the Father's only Son. Got one more blessing to talk about in the last couple of minutes, and that is the blessing that Paul talks about of having seen the mystery of the gospel. See verse 7 With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. We're going to think more about this mystery later in the letter but in short it is the fact that God had something which was hidden which was a secret which has now been revealed to the world in the coming of Christ and that is the culmination and the completion of all things where Jesus brings all things to unity in heaven and on earth where all things are put under him as the Lord of all where he is seen rightfully for who he is on his throne and some people will come and bow to him and worship him willingly but some won't some will come as his enemies and bow to him begrudgingly on the day of judgment and part of this plan is that god is actually bringing former enemies in this world together to him and together with one another that is the jews and the gentiles he is uniting a new humanity under jesus That is God's plan and he's sending the gospel out through the Apostle Paul, now through people like Shane and Ruth, our friends, like through the local church, God is sending the gospel out and the church is like a trailer for the end of history. The church is an example, a foretaste of what God is one day going to do in creating a whole new humanity in Christ where former enemies are brought together. You know, that's why we're here at church, isn't it? We're not here because we have the same interests. We're not brought here because we like the same TV shows and the same sporting teams. We're here because of Jesus. And there's no other reason that we would sit in this room together other than him. He's the one who unites us. It's a bit like the Olympics later this year. All the nations of the world are going to come together in Paris the olympics but you know the difference with the olympics is they're there to compete (laughs) and uh, often they're accusing each other of doping and you know some people are not going to compete against each other because their nations are at war but in the church jesus has made a peace through his cross between us and him and between us and one another And so we are now magnetised to him and we're magnetised to each other. That's a foretaste of what is coming for eternity. That is the mystery that's been revealed in the coming of Christ. And what this means for us is that we have to cut with the grain of where the universe is going. We've been shown the end before it happens so that we can live our lives in light of that, so that we can orient everything in our lives around Jesus around his throne, our time, our talents, our money, our friendships, our relationships, our church life, our family lives, whatever it is, we can orient it around this great future where we're coming to the throne of Christ. I love those NRMA ads that are up at the moment. For some reason I'm getting really into ads at the moment, but um, this, is, this is it. It's coming up on the screen. Until then and the point of the ad is until then we'll be here to help and there's some different versions of it until houses can evacuate too we'll be there to help until conditions never change we'll be there to help and and that touches me because it says something about our frailty and the fact that we need help I'm not here for NRMA (laughs) endorsements by the way But Jesus says something similar to us. He says, until sin is a thing of the past, I'm here as your redeemer, as the one who forgives you. Until the kingdom comes in full, I'm here as the one who helps you. Until my return to set things right, I'm here for you. Until the unity between all things comes, I am your saviour. I'm the one who laid down my life, who shed his blood for you. If you don't yet have Jesus here this afternoon, I want to say that his resurrection proves that he came back from the dead and he's sitting with God and he wants to welcome you and he wants to welcome you as your redeemer and as the one who would forgive every sin. So would you come to him? That's the only question, would you want to come to him? because he is ready and willing for you to come. And if you do have him this afternoon, if you do know him, you have something more wonderful than any other human relationship. You have the one who shed his blood for you. Has anyone else ever shed their blood for you? Maybe a couple of people in a million, that that happens. But Jesus invites the millions, the billions in this world to come to him who shed his blood for us and his blood's there it's available to cover us from all the sin all the consequences of our sins so we have a perfect relationship with him that's starting now we've got the foretaste now and we know where it's going on the day that he comes back let me pray Lord Jesus, we thank you this afternoon for what you've shown to us from your word. We thank you for the redemption and for the forgiveness uh, that you give to us, that there is nothing that separates us from you. Uh, We thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, we have this great future with you, that you've dealt with every sin, every aspect of shame, every mistake that we've made, we praise you for this. And we pray that you'd be, you'd be glorified uh, because of this grace that you've shown to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've got a, a confession coming up on the screen. This is an opportunity for us to remember that the one who forgives our sins actually wants to hear from us and wants us to return to him and just be honest and real about how we're going. So... How about we stand actually as we say this these words together and then we're going to sing let's say this confession together heavenly father we praise you for adopting us as your children and making us heirs of eternal life in your mercy you have washed us from our sins and made us clean in your sight yet we still fail to love you as we should and serve you as we ought. Forgive us our sins and renew us by your grace that we may continue to grow as members of Christ in whom alone is our salvation. Amen.